0: You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Patrick Salmon. The morning of the 21st of June 1997, at around 2am, Gardie responded to a residence in Galway City after reports of an altercation inside. The house was an average two-storey end-of-terrace home, just 10 minutes' drive north of the centre of Galway City, in the west of Ireland. When emergency services arrived at the home in Camelon Park, Westside, they found 41-year-old Patrick Salmon who had sustained multiple severe stab wounds to his upper chest and shoulder, apparently from a small kitchen knife from the house. Mr Salmon was originally from Newport, County Mayo. He was widowed with three children and had lived for a time in England before moving to Galway, where he worked as a plasterer. Initial reports related that there had been a violent row, seemingly stemming from an argument that had erupted between two people in the house. In the course of this altercation, Salmon had been stabbed several times, after which a call was placed to the hospital, informing them that someone was seriously injured and an ambulance was needed. Pat Salmon was rushed by ambulance to the nearby University College Hospital Galway, but he was pronounced dead around 3am. A forensic examination of the house was begun, which seemed to be Salmon's residence, although he was also known to be staying at a hostel in Galway at the time of his death. Elsewhere in the small neighbourhood, house-to-house inquiries were carried out. In the hours immediately after Pat Salmon's death, a 36-year-old woman was brought to Mill Street Garda Station to assist in the investigation and was released without charge at around 5pm, 12 hours later. Superintendent Tony Finnerty told the press that a file was being prepared for the DPP. Efforts were made to contact Mr. Salmon's family. His six sisters and four brothers lived mainly in England and America. Papers also reported that, sadly, Pat's former wife had died in recent times, possibly only days before he was fatally attacked. Pat's body was removed to Newport on Monday the 23rd with his funeral taking place the following day, on Tuesday the 24th, in Newport Parish Church. He was then laid to rest in Kilbride Cemetery, a short distance to the south of the quaint County Mayo village. A file was not sent to the DPP on the matter until November of 1997. It was another three months before charges were laid. On the 9th of February 1998, 36-year-old Kathleen Bell appeared before the district court in Galway, charged with the murder of Patrick Salmon. The deceased was described in the papers as Miss Bell's boyfriend, and Bell's address was given as the home in Camelon Park, where Pat Salmon had sustained his fatal wounds. In response to the charge, the court heard that Ms. Bell had said, quote, It should never have happened. I am so sorry. Kathleen Bell had not had an easy life though she had never had any real interaction with the Gardie before. She and her siblings had been abandoned as children and the three youngest of them were brought up in orphanages in the west of Ireland. When she was a teenager, Belle had become pregnant and her child was taken and put up for adoption. At 18, she became pregnant again and this time married the father of that child, Philip Bell, in September of 1981. After this, Kathleen Bell had another five pregnancies in quick succession, with one of the children sadly dying in infancy. In 1985, Bell suffered from a nervous breakdown, after which she began drinking. In 1986, she left the family home and her children were taken into care. Later, after regaining custody of her kids, Miss Bell attempted suicide. Her husband returned to Ireland from England, where he had been working, and got custody of the children. This marriage was eventually annulled and Mr Bell got a civil divorce in England before he remarried in 1997. Patrick Salmon, the deceased, had been well known to Kathleen. He had in fact been married to Bell's sister, Mary, and was the father of three of Mary's kids. Sometime before 1988, that marriage broke up, however. Mary Salmon and the children moved to England. It was after this that Kathleen Bell and Patrick Salmon began their relationship, and in 1994 they began living together in Camelon Park in Galway City. In court that day, Kathleen Bell was remanded in custody. When she was escorted from the courtroom, she shouted and gestured angrily at a press photographer who was working outside. At a hearing which took place in the following weeks, Ms Bell was granted bail. On the 6th of April, the book of evidence was served on Kathleen Bell. She was remanded on continuing bail, a condition of which was to sign on in Mill Street Garda Station once a day. A month later, Bell was sent forward for trial. And so, on Tuesday the 9th of March 1999, Kathleen Bell's trial for the murder of her boyfriend, Patrick Salmon, opened in the Central Criminal Court in Dublin before Ms Justice Catherine McGuinness and a jury of seven women and five men. Kathleen Bell pleaded not guilty. Marcus Daly, senior counsel, acted on behalf of the DPP. He said the facts of the case that the jury was about to hear were stranger than fiction, and he went on to outline Kathleen Bell's background. Mr. Daly told the jury that they would hear evidence that Bell and Patrick Salmon's relationship was very stormy. Both Salmon and Belle drank heavily and at times the relationship had been abusive. The couple had argued a lot and Gardie had been called to the house on a number of occasions. Salmon had once spent six months in jail for assault and on another occasion he had beat Belle so badly that she had miscarried a pregnancy three days later. There were times when Belle would kick Patrick Salmon out of the house and he would go and stay in a hostel at Wood Key in the city. He had been staying at this hostel at the time of his death in June of 1997. Two days before Patrick Salmon's death, Bell had learned that her sister and Salmon's former wife, Mary, had died by suicide in England two months before. Mary had taken an overdose. In court, the prosecutor explained that on the night of Patrick's death, there had been an argument. Bell alleged to Gardee that Salmon had told her he didn't care about Mary or that she had died and that he wanted to marry her but bell had responded that mary was dead because of him as the argument continued kathleen had told patrick to leave the house but he hadn't at one point she had gone into the kitchen picked up a paring knife and had hidden this beneath her jumper eventually she stabbed patrick's salmon in the chest and shoulder a total of six times The prosecutor told the jury that Gardie had found Kathleen Bell to be very composed when they arrived on scene that morning. Further, in the immediate aftermath of the stabbing, the defendant had made up a story and had had a neighbour and family friend, Bernard Ward, repeat this to Gardie. Later, Bell had admitted to Gardie what had happened and said she hadn't meant to kill Salmon, that she had just, quote, lost the head and, quote, freaked out. Mr. Daly said that despite her appalling childhood and the, quote, unfortunate things that had occurred in her life, quote, the law is there and has to be observed by everyone. The prosecution continued, quote, the auntie was upped when she went to the kitchen and armed herself with a knife. She threatened Patrick Salmon with the knife first and when he didn't believe her, she stabbed him a total of six times. We say that at all times she knew what she was doing. After Mr Daly's opening speech, Ms Justice McGuinness informed the jury that the defence, led by Senior Counsel Paddy McEntee, intended to argue provocation, that Bell had been sufficiently provoked to cause her to lose control, and if the jury accepted this, it would mean that Bell was guilty of manslaughter. The first witness to give evidence in the case was the brother of the accused, Francis Boylan. Francis told the court that Patrick Salmon was, quote, the most kind man you could meet, so long as he wasn't drinking. But when he was, his personality changed and he became very possessive. Francis said he'd seen bruises and marks on Bell from beatings inflicted by Patrick Salmon, and he said he would cry at what he saw. The witness also recounted that once he had to pull Salmon away from Kathleen Bell, when he saw that Salmon had his arms tight around the accused's neck. He said, quote, only she was a strong person, she could be the one in the grave today. Kathleen drank too, Mr Boylan said, but it didn't have the same effect on her. He testified she would just sit on the couch and listen to her country music. On the other hand, Salmon would row with Kathleen over small things. Francis felt he was trying to get a rise out of her, He'd spill a drink on the floor or put out a cigarette in the carpet to try and make Belle angry. Francis Boylan further testified that Belle had visited his own house two nights before Pat's death to tell him that their sister Mary had died. Boylan said Salmon had treated Mary badly too, again due to drink. Francis also recalled Salmon and his sister arguing that night and Salmon had said words to the effect of, quote, Now that the bitch is dead, I can bring the children back. It was the witness's impression that Salmon just wanted his youngest daughter back with him, whereas Kathleen thought the three kids should not be split up. When questioned by Paddy McEntee, Mr Boylan said his sister never wanted to go to hospital after she had been beaten by Salmon, because she was afraid that if the authorities found out, she would not be able to go and see her kids, who lived with her ex. He said his sister had a number of scars which he thought were mostly self-inflicted through self-harm from depression, but he said the depression itself was caused by her relationship with Patrick Salmon. Despite all their violent arguments, Boylan said that they had a lot of love for one another and Salmon was always apologetic the following day. According to the defendant's brother, they were both, quote, big softies. This episode is also sponsored in part by our good friends, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours and there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas and you can use BetterHelp worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash mens. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P pcom forward slash M-E-N-S and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. Right now, there's that special offer for MensRea listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash mens. On the second day of the hearings in the trial, March 9th, Dr. Malcolm Little gave evidence of his post mortem examination on Patrick Salmon. Salmon had suffered six wounds on his left chest and top of his shoulder, as well as defensive wounds to his hands. Four of the stab wounds were superficial, but two more would have required significant force and had caused the fatal wounds. One had penetrated the left lung, and the other, the pulmonary artery trunk. Salmon's blood alcohol level was high, and Dr. Little said he was, quote, quite a drunk man at the time of his death. Then the manager of the hostel that Salmon often stayed in, Bridie Jennings, appeared to give evidence. She said that her impression of the deceased was that Patrick Salmon was a gentleman. Ms. Jennings also recalled that about six weeks before his death, Salmon had arrived at the hostel with a black eye and with scratches on his face. The man had told her that he had fallen and was injured. On the 19th of June, Bridie had answered a call at the hostel, and it was Miss Bell. She had confirmed to the defendant that Salmon was staying at the hostel, but Bell didn't want to speak to him. Bell asked the witness to pass on a phone number with a London prefix to Mr. Salmon. After this, Garda Patter Brick told the court that he had responded to a call from the defendant's address on the 27th of February 1996 and on arrival saw an ongoing fight taking place between Kathleen Bell and Patrick Salmon. Garda Brick said that Salmon had a fire poker in his hand and the two were struggling in the front garden over the implement. Salmon then punched Ms. Bell in the face with a closed fist and Garda Brick arrested Patrick Salmon for common assault. Patrick Salmon had subsequently pleaded guilty to this charge and was given a six month suspended sentence. He had also previously served a six month custodial sentence for driving without insurance. Evidence was then heard from Louise Boylan, a niece of Kathleen Bell, who said that she had answered the phone in Bell's house on the evening of the 19th of June. Patrick Salmon was on the line but she had passed on the message to him that Belle didn't want to speak to him and that he was upsetting Kathleen. Salmon had hung up. Michelle Boylan, the sister of the previous witness, told the court that she had also answered calls from Patrick Salmon to her aunt's house that night too. Three times, in fact. She had given the same message and added that Kathleen did not want him up at the house. The calls all came within 20 to 30 minutes of each other. In the house that night, the women had been talking about the death of Bell's sister Mary, and Michelle said that her aunt was very upset. That day, the defendant's neighbour, Bernie Ward, also took the stand. He recalled that Bell had rung his house at about half past one on the 20th of June and asked him to come over, as she and Salmon had had a fight. When Mr. Ward arrived at the house, he found Salmon sitting against the bed. He saw no blood and when he pulled up the man's shirt to check for wounds, he could barely see anything there, only marks which he described in court as tiny. Mr Ward said that at the time the defendant was very upset, but that he didn't think she realised how injured Patrick Salmon actually was. She did tell him that she had called for an ambulance. When he'd asked what had happened, Bell had said that they were fighting about Mary and she'd asked Salmon to leave, but he wouldn't. After the ambulance arrived, Bell had asked the witness to tell Gardie that he had been passing by when he heard shouts and that Patrick Salmon had arrived at Bell's house already injured. Mr. Ward had agreed to do this and had in fact told this to Gardie going along with the story because he didn't want to get Kathleen into trouble. Mr. Ward said that the story was not his idea and that Ms. Bell had not kept up the story for very long. The court then heard that a social worker, Alex McLean, had been visited by Patrick Salmon on the 19th of June. Mr McLean had rang social workers in England and confirmed that Salmon's ex-wife, Mary, had died on the 28th of April in Middlesex Hospital from a drink and drug overdose. Salmon had expressed to him a desire to get custody of his youngest daughter, adding that the two older boys would likely be too settled in England to move back to Ireland. Mary's youngest child, her fourth, had gone to live with their father already. Mr Salmon also inquired about help to get on the social housing list for Galway Corporation. The social worker told the court that he was doubtful of Patrick Salmon's ability to follow through with plans and his reliability, as he had known Mary and Patrick when they were a couple. His assessment was that Salmon was more intelligent and more manipulative than either Mary or Kathleen, and that he had developed a, quote, veneer of respectability, both socially and professionally, but he was not consistent. Mr. McLean had agreed with the suggestion of Mr. Paddy McEntee for Bell's defence that he had a very poor impression of that relationship, and that he could not have made a recommendation to the English social services that Patrick Salmon's request be granted and the children be brought back to Galway. The witness told the court that he was also aware that there was a history of violence and alcohol dependence in the relationship between Patrick and Kathleen Bell and that both had been hospitalised due to injuries sustained in their rows. Bell had shown signs of her less-than-ideal circumstances in her early years and McLean described her as a, quote, typical child of an institutional background and, quote, a very damaged individual. Next to take the stand was Lily Broderick, who had known Belle since she was in Mount Carmel Orphanage in Moat, and who had acted as foster mother to the defendant for a time. She described how Belle had been, quote, very disturbed when her baby was taken from her as a teenager. Kathleen had met the baby's father while she was working in the Dubarry Shoe Factory in Ballinasloe. After they found out about the pregnancy, the boy's parents had arrived at Miss Broderick's home, and she recalled that they'd yelled at her and called Bell names. That night, the boy was sent off to England. Kathleen had had the baby in Hollis Street Hospital in Dublin, and soon after its birth, she went to take a bath, only to return to discover that the infant had been taken for adoption. Miss Broderick said Bell was, quote, left with the image of a car door closing outside the hospital entrance, and that, quote, things went wrong after that. Kathleen was totally changed. Broderick said that around that time Kathleen became withdrawn and had taken an overdose of tablets and was brought to hospital. Miss Broderick remained friends with Belle after her marriage and testified that after her series of pregnancies a doctor had advised the defendant not to have more children. It was the witness's recollection that Mr Bell had brought a priest in to speak with Kathleen and that she then became pregnant a number of times subsequent to this. Kathleen couldn't cope with the children and when Mr Bell left for England for work she had had a breakdown. She was aware that Bell had tried to end her life a number of times. On one occasion Miss Broderick said that Kathleen had shown her daughter a cut on her stomach while she was pregnant. The following day, the third day of the trial, Detective Sergeant Patrick Collins from Mill Street Station, who headed the investigation into Patrick Salmon's death, took to the stand. Detective Sergeant Collins had arrived at the defendant's house at 3 a.m. on the 20th of June, and at that time Kathleen Bell and her friend and neighbour, Bernard Ward, had told him that Salmon had arrived back to the home already wounded. Miss Bell had said she'd then run out into the road screaming and was joined by Mr. Ward, who'd come out to her. But within minutes of telling Detective Collins this, Bell had approached him in the hallway when he was speaking with another guard. She'd said to him, quote, I want to tell the truth. I stabbed him, but don't tell Bernie Ward. Kathleen then showed him the knife and made a full statement of admission. The guard agreed with Paddy McEntee that this had occurred within five minutes of telling the false story. Kathleen Bell had then been arrested and brought to Mill Street for questioning. She made and signed a statement where she told Detective Garda Gerard Dillon that Patrick Salmon had arrived at the house at half past eleven. He'd called Bell a number of times earlier in the evening. They'd had a few cans together and then an argument erupted. Belle said that this had been over Mary. Kathleen's statement said, quote, Pat Salmon told her he didn't give a fuck that her sister was dead. She'd responded that Mary had been her flesh and blood and they had been raised together in the orphanage. Then she said Mary was dead because of him and continued, quote, get up and go or I'll kill you. But Salmon hadn't left, and Belle went to the toilet. On her way back, she stopped in the kitchen and picked up the small knife she used to peel potatoes. When she entered the living room again, the argument continued and Pat Salmon refused to leave once more. Belle said she had shown him the knife and he had just called her a string of names. Then he went to grab her. Belle said, quote, I lost the head and went for him with the knife. I don't know how many times I stabbed him as I was freaked out. Salmon had staggered out of the room and back to the bedroom where he fell to the ground. Bell also fell. She'd told him to get up and that was when she'd realised Salmon was injured and she'd left the house to get help. Detective Dillon agreed with Paddy McEntee that Bell had said she hadn't meant to kill Patrick Salmon multiple times throughout her statement and that she had done so with great conviction. During her interview, Kathleen had told Gardy that the marks on her arms had come from Salmon when he had cut her six years before. He'd also hit her over the head with a kettle. She'd said, quote, he also used to beat my sister Mary. He used to gamble. He left them without money. Kathleen Bell had told Detective Garda Seamus Burke that, quote, Salmon used to beat the hell out of me when he was drunk. She said that that night she had been angry that Pat hadn't cared about Mary's death, and she had become even more upset when, at about 1am, he'd asked her to marry him. She told the guard the knife was just to frighten Salmon. When the argument started up again, Belle had told Patrick Salmon that she'd called Mary's eldest son. She told him that the kids hated him and that they didn't want to return to Ireland and they blamed him for their mother's death. After asking Salmon to leave again, he'd threatened her and gone to hit her and that's when she had stabbed him. Superintendent Anthony Finnerty gave evidence next and told the court that Bell had been initially charged with manslaughter and that she'd said she was sorry when it was put to her. In the course of the investigation, he had learned that Ms. Bell had been admitted to hospital 51 times during her relationship with the deceased. After this, Dr. Hugh Coyle of the Forensic Laboratory's Drugs Department testified that he had tested a blood sample taken from Kathleen Bell on the morning of Patrick Salmon's death at Mill Street Garda Station. This sample showed blood alcohol levels which were, quote, significantly less than the drink driving limit. However, on cross by McEntee, Dr. Coyle said that his results could not contradict Bell's statements that she had drank 11 cans of beer from 8 p.m. the night before, and the time that she was brought into guard at custody, and that this scenario was quote, definitely possible given his results. That afternoon, Wednesday the 10th, the prosecution's case concluded. The court was adjourned until the following Monday, when it was expected that the jury would hear evidence from a psychiatrist on behalf of Kathleen Bell's defense. However, on Monday the 15th of March, 1999. Kathleen Bell took to the stand. She told the court that she had lost control when Patrick Salmon had insulted her and had taunted her about sexual abuse she had suffered as a child. This abuse had occurred while she was in an orphanage, and she had been victimized by two different individuals. She had also witnessed similar abuse inflicted on her sister, Mary. The defendant described how she had become unable to cope after having her second child with Philip Bell. And she had gone to the doctor and got the pill. She had hid them under her mattress, saying, If Phil knew, I would have got bet for having the pill. He then found them, and there was a fight, and he gave me a few slaps over it. It was then that the priest was brought in by her then husband to get her to stop taking her contraception. After one fight in that marriage, caused when Belle had accidentally burned the dinner, she said Philip Bell had tried to put an electric drill to her head. After Mr Bell had left for work in England she couldn't cope and had to put the kids in foster care. They went to live with a family three miles away and Kathleen visited every day. She said quote, it broke my heart I had no choice but to do it. It was not the kids it was just myself. Eventually Bell had got the annulment and moved back to the north where he was from taking the kids with him and he remarried. Kathleen had moved in with a friend for two years after she and Mr. Bell separated, and it was through this person that Salmon was reintroduced into her life. She told the court, quote, I knew he was bad to my sister. He used to beat the hell out of her. Kathleen had found out about Mary's death when Mary and Pat Salmon's eldest son rang her to see if she would have Mr. Salmon sign a form allowing the kids to go on holiday with their foster parents. Kathleen had asked why he didn't have his mam sign it and he then told her that Mary had been dead for two months. Bell told the court that in that moment she nearly had a heart attack. Mary was only 32. Kathleen had immediately blamed Salmon for Mary's death and told the court she never wanted to see him again after learning this news but Salmon wouldn't leave her alone and said he didn't care that Mary was dead and even asked Kathleen to marry him after this. Bell told her lawyer that Salmon had called her a dirty bitch and that she was a quote spread the legs because I had people at me when I was young. In effect, Pat Salmon was saying Kathleen had allowed her abuse to take place, that it was her fault. Kathleen told the jury that despite asking him a number of times, Pat Salmon wouldn't leave the house that night. She said she didn't remember stabbing him, only that he'd gone to hit her and her memory was blank after that. Bell recalled that she'd threatened to call Gardee, but Salmon said he didn't give a fuck about the Gardee. On the stand the defendant said quote, we had our arguments and we had our fights but that night everything seemed to go out of control and continued quote, no way did I mean to kill him I just kept begging him so much to go out of the house. Bell also showed the jury quote-unquote extensive scarring on her neck and arms which she said had been done in part by Patrick Salmon. Scars on her wrists, she said, had been self-harm, and a large slash to her neck had also been self-inflicted during the course of her first marriage. Of fourteen scars visible on her body, Salmon had inflicted five. In one incident that the defendant related, Bell alleged that Patrick Salmon had handed her a razor blade and told her he didn't care what she did. Kathleen recalled that Salmon had then sat and watched as she made cuts to her neck. The Sunday Tribune reported that, as Belle described the arguments between her and Patrick Salmon, she detailed the violent incidents and then quickly tried to mitigate the violence she had endured by saying, quote, Pat was the best in the world when he wasn't drinking. In the course of their relationship, Pat Salmon had cut Belle's arm, her chin, her knee, had broken her nose, and put her eye out of its socket. In turn, Kathleen had broken Salmon's jaw and injured him in the groin. Kathleen told the jury that Pat was lovely without drink but became, quote, evil and violent with drink in him. The defendant admitted that in the course of an argument she had once broken Mr. Salmon's jaw but explained to Mr. Daly for the prosecution, quote, I'd have no choice but to defend myself because if I didn't I'd be stone dead. She had often cut herself while arguing saying that she thought that if he saw what she was doing it might make the argument stop and Salmon would leave her alone. Kathleen Bell's testimony continued into a second day. She confirmed that she had called the guardie to the house 20 to 30 times in the eight years she and Patrick Salmon had been in a relationship. Mr. Daly for the state asked her why it was that she hadn't rung the guards to remove Mr. Salmon on the night of his death. Kathleen said that she believed if she had attempted to ring the guards, Mr. Salmon would have beat her up. She said he was quite drunk and in that state she felt he would be likely to try and stop her. Quote, if I had went on the phone to the guardee, he'd kick the hell out of me. Mr. Daly also asked Kathleen why it was that earlier in the week Patrick Salmon had come to the house and had left when asked to do so by her. The defendant explained that on those occasions Mr. Salmon had not been drinking and that it hadn't been necessary to ring the guards to have him removed. Bell admitted that she had used the phrase quote, "I'll kill you" on the night she had stabbed Patrick Salmon. And that she had used a similar phrase in the past. She agreed with Mr. Daly that this was a threatening phrase, but told the court that she had used the words as an expression and that she had not literally meant that she would injure or kill Patrick Salmon. Bell said she had loved Patrick Salmon and thought of him every day. At this point, Rita O'Reilly noted that Ms. Justice McGuinness had interjected and noted, In all fairness, the saying, I'll kill you is something that many people might say but it is up to the jury to judge that, end quote. The 12 people listening to Bell's testimony would be left to puzzle out whether those words had been a mere turn of phrase or a threat uttered that night. Bell told the prosecutor that she had had no intentions of carrying through with her words when she got the paring knife from the kitchen. She said her mind had gone blank, that she wasn't thinking anything, and that everything had happened so fast after Patrick Salmon went to grab her. She said, quote, nothing had entered my head then. It wasn't in my head to protect myself. My head just went. Mr. Daly suggested to Bell that she had known that the knife she had grabbed was a dangerous weapon and that it was likely to cause serious injury. But the defendant said she realized that now, after the fact, but at the time it wasn't a thought that had entered her mind. Bell said that during the course of the argument on the night of his death, when Salmon saw the knife, his reaction was to say that he would, quote, Shove it nine miles up me hole. After this, Daly for the prosecution said to Miss Bell that her getting a knife and subsequently using that knife on Salmon was an over the top reaction to what was going on in the house and wasn't necessary in the circumstances. At this, Bell's counsel, Mr. McEntee, objected, saying that this was not a legitimate question. There followed some legal argument on the point concluding in Miss Justice McGuinness allowing Mr Daly to ask Bell what she had thought of her reaction that night, and he put it to her that her reaction had in fact been excessive. Miss Bell said, quote, I know now I shouldn't have done it, and I didn't mean it. Bell asserted that if Salmon was alive and present, he wouldn't want this. She said she wished he was there with her, and when she found out he had died, she wanted to die too. Daly asked if the real reason for the fight wasn't the idea that Mary's kids would be split up, and that she had been particularly upset about this notion as she had been separated from her own siblings when she was young. Belle disagreed, saying that the argument had started over Mary and she had become upset when Salmon started calling Mary names. Numerous times while on the stand, Belle struggled to say on what date or at what time certain events she had described occurred. It emerged that not only was Bell unable to read or write, she had only in recent years learned to tell the time, and she was unable to read dates. She had repeated, I'm such a fool, at various points, as she tried to give her testimony. After Kathleen Bell had completed her testimony on the stand, the court heard from Dr. Brian McCaffrey a clinical director of psychiatry at the Eastern Health Board. He had been asked by the defence to assess Kathleen Bell and had interviewed her three times in addition to reviewing her medical files from hospital admissions and hearing her direct evidence given in court over the previous two days. It was Dr. McCaffrey's conclusion that Belle did not have the emotional or psychological skills to deal with the jeers and taunts Salmon had flung at her during the course of their argument on the night of his death. The taunts had triggered Belle's trauma associated with the sexual abuse she had suffered, as well as what she had witnessed with her sister's abuse, and in that context, Belle had felt powerless. The doctor was of the opinion that these feelings had led to a loss of control. Dr. McCaffrey continued, quote, She was trapped. There was nothing new about being trapped. She was trapped for years, but this was the apex of the mental torture and harassment. Dr. McCaffrey also addressed medication that Kathleen had taken after she had been given the news that her sister had died, a combination of Xanax and Lexitan. These medications were sedatives, and he said that the amount she had taken would normally cause a person to be disorientated. He also noted that a side effect of the medication when taken in large amounts was that it might, in certain patients, have the opposite effect from its intention of calming a person in distress. Kathleen Bell had taken a number of these pills combined and had also ingested an amount of alcohol which Dr McCaffrey said would have been, quote, very toxic. The psychiatrist said Bell had a personality disorder brought on by her past abuse and background. On his review of her medical records, it became apparent that no one had tried to talk to Kathleen about her abuse in childhood, and her only treatment were the sedatives that she had been prescribed. She drank heavily, using alcohol as a way to self medicate. She had told the doctor, quote, I said to my GP, I am crying out for help. These tablets are doing so much damage. I need counseling. In the psychiatric day unit at Galway Hospital, they had me drawing and colouring. That was no good. I needed to talk. I didn't know whether I was coming or going. I was so confused. Cross examination of Dr. McCaffrey continued the following day. Mr. Daly had the psychiatrist confirm that he had seen Kathleen Bell in the context of an assessment rather than for treatment. A letter from Bell's GP for Dr. McCaffrey had said she had been on medication for high blood pressure for the previous five years and had occasionally requested tranquilizers. Miss Bell had taken overdoses of medication in July of 1997 and August of 1997 after the death of Patrick Salmon. Mr. Daly put it to Dr. McCaffrey that the doctors who had treated Kathleen Bell over the previous 15 years would be more familiar with her condition and circumstances and would therefore be better equipped to assess her. The doctor had said that this wasn't necessarily the case and asserted that he believed his discussions with Kathleen, particularly his final session with her, had been the first time she had been able to discuss in any detail what had occurred to her in her childhood. The witness explained that he agreed with Bell's previous diagnosis of a personality disorder, though Dr. McCaffrey noted he didn't like to use that term as there was a stigma attached to it. He added that although no one had forced Bell to take what he described as an excessive amount of benzodiazepines or an amount of alcohol that night, he said it was better to ask whether Bell could have prevented herself from taking these. Asked to explain how it was that Bell had given a clear and coherent account, eventually, to Gardie when they arrived at her home that morning, but had not been able to recall the stabbing itself to the doctor, McCaffrey offered that perhaps it was the different style or approach in the interviews. Dr. McCaffrey said, quote, Her loss of control only occurred within a short space of time. She was obviously back in control when she phoned the ambulance, the first thing she did after the stabbing. The psychiatrist said that he felt the effects of the drugs and alcohol had played a role in Bell's response to the argument that night with Salmon, but he was of the opinion that this was not sufficient for Bell to have, quote, gone overboard in the way she did, and said, quote, Pat's taunting of her about her childhood sexual abuse, his combined verbal attack on both the sister she was grieving for and herself, and the obscene remark he made reminding of her abuse, end quote, had resulted in extreme emotional pain which had pushed Belle over the edge and caused a loss of control. On the 22nd of March, Marcus Daly gave his closing statement in the case and argued that a verdict of murder was appropriate. Paddy McEntee, defending, then took to his feet and told the jury that they had to judge the case before them, given the circumstances of Kathleen Bell's life and the kind of person she was because of these. McEntee said that in no way did he intend to trivialise the death of Patrick Salmon and nor would the jury be if they found Bell guilty of manslaughter, which he argued was the appropriate verdict in the case. The court heard a detailed description of Kathleen Bell's early life and her experiences as an adult. She was a quote, seriously damaged person, having lived a quote, awful life, but this had not been presented to try and garner sympathy for the defendant, Rather, it was to enable the jurors to ask what effect the deprivation and abuse she had endured had had on Bell's psyche and how she might react in the circumstances she found herself in on the night of the 20th of June 1997. In short, Kathleen Bell had been provoked by Patrick Salmon during the course of their argument when he taunted her about her past childhood abuse and insulted her deceased sister. Because of this provocation, resulting in a temporary loss of control for Bell, she had lacked the intent to murder. McEntee said she had not been allowed the quote, basic necessity of peace and quiet to grieve after getting the news of Mary's death, as Salmon had persistently phoned her. When Bell finally relented and allowed Salmon in the house, he started an argument with her within 10 minutes. The argument led to his insults, A, quote, ruthless tirade meant to cause maximum psychological damage and ultimately to his death, the lawyer argued. It took the jury just over an hour and a half to return with their verdict that day. They found Kathleen Bell unanimously guilty of manslaughter. She was acquitted of the charge of murdering Patrick Salmon. After this, Miss Justice McGuinness remanded Bell on continuing bail to await a sentencing hearing. Both Mr. Daly and Mr. McEntee agreed with Justice McGinnis that, quote, alternative ways of dealing with the case would be explored. After the verdict, Bell's two eldest children were noted by Rita O'Reilly to be smiling for the first time in court. They had attended the proceedings throughout, only leaving during portions of their mother's testimony which dealt with Bell's childhood abuse, which she had requested them not to listen to. Kathleen Bell left the courtroom and returned to her home in Galway. She next appeared in court before Ms Justice McGuinness in July of 1999, over three months after her conviction for manslaughter. Helen Greeley, a psychologist who was treating Kathleen Bell, told the court that in her 19-year career, quote, I have never come across such a catalogue of abandonment. There, Patty McInty submitted to the court that a treatment and counselling regime would be more appropriate in the case as opposed to a term of imprisonment. The judge agreed. Justice McGuinness ordered that a psychological report was to be prepared for her to review in six months' time, in January of 2000. Kathleen Bell had agreed to attend a counsellor weekly for a period of two years, with further counselling for up to five years after that. She also agreed to attend an alcohol treatment course provided by the Western Health Board. Justice McGinnis also recommended that the Western Health Board should provide payment to Bell's treatment provider, who had been seeing Ms. Bell with no payment to that point, with Justice McGinnis noting that she had in mind the cost of keeping a person in custody to the state when making this recommendation, though it was not something that she could make as an order. Justice McGinnis also noted that both she and, indeed, Kathleen Bell wanted to stress that although many negative things had been heard about Patrick Salmon, he was also a person with many virtues. The judge continued, quote, "His death was a tragedy on all sides." In January of 2000, Bell's sentencing hearing was once again put back. Finally, on Monday, the 13th of November 2000, 20 months after the verdict was read in the criminal court in the case. Catherine Bell received her sentence. Ms. Justice Catherine McGuinness explained that the delay had been due to the hope that treatment would lead to efforts for Bell to rehabilitate herself. The judge stated that Bell had in fact made an enormous effort to do this. Dr. Helen Greeley, Bell's treating psychologist, appeared once again and said that Bell had continued to attend AA meetings and that she had started an adult literacy course. She had had just two episodes of drinking since the trial, which represented the longest period of sobriety in Bell's adult life. Kathleen Bell assured Justice McGinnis that she would continue with therapy and AA and could see the improvements in herself already. Superintendent Anthony Finnerty told the court that Gardy were not pressing for a custodial sentence in this case. Ms. Justice McGinnis handed down a four-year suspended sentence given Bell's background and her recent efforts. However, she was to continue to attend counselling and AA meetings. Catherine McGuinness said, quote, I have made it a reasonably long sentence precisely because I feel she is going to need this help for quite some time, end quote. Bell should consider maintaining therapeutic efforts even after the sentence was up. Over the next two years, Bell would be back in court over a dispute with a neighbour, having had the guards called out on her when she stood in a neighbor's garden, yelling and roaring at them. Bell said she had lived in the estate 19 years and was well liked there, with the other residents even circulating a petition to ensure she wasn't relocated, but she said given this dispute she had put her name on the housing list for a transfer anyway. Given that, her ongoing treatment for alcohol misuse and her background, she was eventually given a suspended sentence for this too. Unsurprisingly, the incidents with the neighbour were drink fueled and for the same reason, she was caught a number of times driving a car under the influence. She got further fines and community service for road traffic offences, again making promises to continue with her treatment and to quit drinking. Bell's doctor appeared again in some of these hearings, with one judge, Mary Fahey, saying quote, I know her background. This lady is never far away from getting a custodial sentence. She must behave. However, there has been no further news of Kathleen Bell since then, so it would seem she has followed that advice. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rayapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Special thanks this week goes out to Lauren Jett, Moira Kirkland, Tanya Molesky, Adele M, Sandra Brereton, Anna Cagney, Jenny Murphy, Jackie Wilkinson, Manula McGrath, Meg Ebner, Elliot W. James, Becky, Matrow, Gabrielle de Chazor, Jeff Sutter, and Caroline Flavin. If you'd like ad-free or bonus episodes, head on over to patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. With thanks to our sponsors for this week's episode, BetterHelp remember supporting our sponsors supports this show so check them out in the show notes our theme music is Quinn's song the dance begins by Kevin MacLeod additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod this episode was researched written and produced by me your host Sinead all sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website www.mensreapod.com and so till next time don't do anything I wouldn't do to the state when making this recommendation.